In an article written by President M. Russell Ballard titled, A Chance to Start Over, Church Disciplinary Councils and the Restoration of Blessings, he wrote, To members and leaders of the church who know of a brother or a sister who has been disfellowshipped or excommunicated, love him or her without judging, be sensitive and thoughtful without prying, be warm and caring without being condescending, be forgiving and forgetful. The Lord has said, Behold, he who has repented of his sins, the same is forgiven, and I, the Lord, remember them no more. Can we be justified in doing any less? On today's episode, we will be talking with two brothers who were excommunicated from the church. One, Rory Maylay, recently returned to the restored church through baptism and confirmation after years of semi-activity and a year of excommunication. He is currently waiting to apply for the Restoration of Blessing Ordinance this spring. The other, Perry Correa, was recently excommunicated and has begun his effort to return to church membership. This is All In, an LDS Living podcast where we ask the question, what does it really mean to be all in the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'm Morgan Jones, and I am so grateful to Rory and Perry for their willingness to come and have a conversation with me today about something that we don't often talk a lot about in the church. And I want to give a little bit of background about how this podcast episode came to be. So Perry served his mission with my brother, Spencer, and one day I was working in the temple and Perry came into the temple, and this was a few years ago, and he recognized me as being Spencer's sister and introduced himself, and as a result, we have been friends for a couple years now, and a few, probably like a month ago, was it a month ago, Perry? Yeah. Okay. So a month ago, I got a text from Perry one night and he said, Hey Morgan, what do you use for your blog? And I sent him the website that I use to host my blog. And, and then the next morning, Perry sent me another text and said, here's this blog post that I wrote. I was wondering if you could look at it. And I did not know what kind of blog Perry was starting. And so I click into it and I start reading And it is this beautiful first-person account that is in present tense of someone that has just been excommunicated from the church. And I had no idea that this was something that Perry was experiencing. And so I texted him back, and I think I was like, wait, when did this happen? And Perry was like, last Thursday. And so I, first of all, was so impressed that Perry had written this and shared his experience. And then I asked a little bit more to find out why he felt like he should blog about this experience of being excommunicated. And he explained that he had been looking for resources and couldn't find anything. And so he was like, maybe I should be the resource. And to me, this is like the ultimate in selflessness, um, is putting yourself out there and being willing to be of help to someone else. So fast forward a few days later, and I am on my computer and this, I think it was on Twitter, pops up a little tweet about a story on a website where another man had shared his experience in having been excommunicated. And this was Rory. And so I read his experience and it was very much in line with the things that Perry explained, that he was determined that he was going to stay in the church and that he had gone through this whole process and and Rory's kind of on the other end of the time period of excommunication. And so to me, I was like, this is fascinating. And I don't think it's a coincidence that these two men in the same week, I had read a post from each of them about why about their experience with this. And so I reached out to Rory and I reached out to Perry and I asked if they would be willing to have a conversation with me about their experience. And both were willing. They were both enthusiastic and happy to be involved. 
But Rory had just one condition, which was that we in no way discuss the cause of their respective excommunications. And I, I was like, of course, we won't talk about that at all. That was never my plan. But then he explained why. Rory, do you mind just starting us off by sharing why that ground rule is so important to you? Um, yeah, so... You know, we we're a church that values the repentance process, and and we have a the the Lord has said multiple times if if He confesses and forsakes uh, His sins, I the Lord will remember them no more. And I think sometimes we we have a tendency as a people to to question, you know, like so why why did this happen to you, or you know, um, and uh, maybe it's out of curiosity. Maybe people want to know, like you know am I going to go through that process? But, uh, once something has been repented of, if, if the Lord can say, I can forget it. I, I think that we can try also to forget it. Not to the extent that we don't learn from our mistakes, learn, learn from our choices, but that we can truly repent. Um, I, I remember when me and my wife were first married, we read a, a talk by elder Holland called uh, remember lots wife. He gave it a, a BYU devotional. And in there, here's just the most profound statement. He said that we have a tendency to reach in the mud of other people's pasts and, and, and throw it at each other. You, do you remember this? <laughs> and he says, splat, you know, threw it at the person. And the other person will be like, yeah, I remember that. And then they pick up some mud and throw it back. And everybody ends up muddy and dirty from stuff that should have been buried. And uh, his, his premise for that was let people repent, let people change, let people move forward. And uh, we we practice that. That's one of the things that me and my wife practice is that we we let each other repent. And she has been phenomenal. And during this process, she doesn't pick up my choices and throw them at me. Uh, we we move forward knowing that with faith and repentance, moving forward to baptism and those covenants. Um, if if the Lord can forget and remember them no more, if that's a promise, the the guy that knows everything, right? <laughs> Um, if he can say, I, I'll forget these, I think we can too. I love that. That is one of my all-time favorite talks, the Remember Lot's Wife talk. And so I love that you brought that up. Now that we have that ground rule established, I want to start with the night. And this is something that Perry described in his blog post, the night of your disciplinary council. And this is something I've heard. I had a friend that gave a talk in sacrament meeting a few years ago, and she also had gone through this process and she shared her experience of what it felt like to wait outside the high council room while this is being discussed. And I always think that it's like a super powerful thing when people share it in faith and, and um, for the right reasons. So what was that like for you? And I guess we'll start with Perry. What was going through your head and what were you feeling? I think for me, I was feeling really anxious in my case. It had taken quite a while because it had been during the holidays so it had taken quite a while for everybody to be able to make it to attend the the disciplinary council. Um, so I was kind of just ready to get it get it taken care of and just just know what I needed to do to, I guess, start the process. And uh, I was really nervous, and there were, there were times that I was just unsure of of what was going to happen. I think partway through the high council, they, 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 they question you um, just so that they have a better understanding of, of where you're at so that they can know how to help you. I, f I felt a peace and that whatever the outcome was, it was going to be from Heavenly Father. That that's what he needed me to go through to feel forgiven, to feel clean, to um, become what he eventually needs me to be. Thank you, Rory. What would you add to that? Um, I'm I'm with Perry. I mean the the anxiety with it, and and maybe not so much anxiety, more just being anxious, wanting to go through it. 
my uh, state president was very good at explaining everything to me, um, explained the process, explained the the points of the council, um, who represented who, because in a in one of these councils, you've got some of the high councilors that represent the church, and then you have the other half that represent the the center, and and they have that purpose for it to be a fair a fair procedure that everybody feels like they are representative represented. And, um, I, I think that's just like a strong point to make that you go in there and, or at least in my experience, I went in there feeling like, like I was going to be heard and the church was going to be heard. And, um, I kind of had a confirmation already that I was going to be excommunicated for me. I felt like at this point in my life, cause I was living, you know, for years, um, just this, this dark path. And I felt like excommunication, if, if it wasn't anything, um, if it was anything less than excommunication, I would have taken it for granted. So going in, it was a, a Saturday morning, very early in the morning. So they knew that nobody would be using the building. They wouldn't have anybody bumping into us in the hallways. And, and so they were very mindful of the individual. And uh, I went in. My wife was with me, my bishop was with me, and we were prepared to discuss future actions. It wasn't necessarily about the consequence. It was, where do we go from here? How do I get from where I'm at now to a, a state where I'm, I'm restored, not, not necessarily just to the church, but restored to my faith in Christ and, and in his graces? And uh, so, yeah, you're, you're thinking, you know, like, oh, they're taking forever. <laughs> Can I just go in? Okay, I come out, and then they're praying about it. And the whole time, I'm, I'm just fidgeting. And uh, except when I'm in there and actually talking to them, and, and there was a piece to the whole whole process. I've heard people say that once you're excommunicated, like, you feel the Holy Ghost just leave, right? You're, you're just, that, that covenant's broken. But I broke that covenant long before this time. In fact, I, I felt the spirit in these proceedings more than I had felt them in the years prior to these proceedings. And uh, I, yeah, I broke that covenant relationship and that was done excommunication, but I still had the visitation of the spirit. I still had the spirit telling me and guiding me through this process. And so any anxiety I had, any anxiousness, any nervousness, it was all swallowed up in that that spirit of love and charity that they, they all bestowed. Thank you both for sharing that. I think one thing that is interesting about this topic is that this disciplinary council is not something that either one of you had to show up for, right? It was your choice to to show up. It was your choice. It's your choice now to work toward rebaptism. And I think that that's the thing for me is I'm like, I think sometimes we misunderstand what this process is all about, which is it should be a positive thing, right? Here's somebody we should actually be giving mad props to for wanting to come back to the church, for wanting to go through something that could be really, really hard. Um, But they're willing to do that because they do have a testimony, not because their testimony is lost. Do either of you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of, I've, I've heard people you know, give me kind of that sort of praise. And uh, people tell me how brave I am. And people tell me like how wonderful this is. And, and for a while, it's not that feeling. Like you're like, if I was wonderful, I wouldn't have gotten this far. You know, and um, and so you you tend to like you know push aside any compliments, any praise, any and and it's all well intended stuff, and and I think that's maybe I don't know if that's uh, Satan kind of nagging at us that hey maybe you aren't good enough, um, at least for me uh, in my experience, but uh, you know there there's a, a lot to it. Yeah, you don't have to show up to these. Um, I didn't have to to confess and move forward but uh, there were things that were inspiring to me that I, I wanted to change and it really depends on the person's circumstance uh, did they get caught in in their sins or did they want to come forward willingly are they penitent or are they just going through the, the mechanics because we we can do that very easily but uh, I think when you find 
in yourself a genuine feeling of wanting to change and reunite with the Lord and, and be a part of, of his community, his church, there's some power to it. I, I agree with Rory too. Um, everyone's on their own individual journey back to Heavenly Father. We're all on our different paths. And, you know, there, there comes a moment where you need to change. You get to a point in your life where um, you miss the spirit. You miss the feeling of community within the church. You miss just feeling the presence of Heavenly Father. And that's kind of what pushed me to, to move forward with it. And like you said, we don't have to come forward with anything that we've done. We don't have to show up for these councils. But because we want to change and become like our Savior, we, we do these things. We, we humble ourselves enough to be vulnerable um, to people we've never met. And that, I think, is where repentance starts, showing God that you do have a broken heart and a contrite spirit to do whatever it is he requires of us. That's beautiful. Perry, on your blog, you wrote something that I have thought about over and over again in the days since reading it. And you said, on the short drive to my home, my mind is flooded with flashbacks, and I replay the day that my father had baptized me, a member of this church that had been a part of my life for over 30 years. It had a great influence on every good piece of the man I had become, and now that part of me was gone. How has your membership in the church shaped and influenced both of your lives? And in the days since this uh, excommunication process was begun, have you really felt that that part of you is gone or have you since found that it is not? Um, growing up in the church, we're taught principles, values, morals, and I think those help shape us. Living a life of principle builds your character. It builds who you are. And I feel like for me, everything good I've become and every good quality I have is from the things that I've learned in church, the lessons that I learned in classes and the leaders that I've had to inspire me and, and teach me. The initial reaction, I guess, from the council or the, the initial reaction I had from the outcome of the council, um, I did feel a huge loss of self, of identity. And for a few days, I, I did feel like a, a huge piece of me, piece of my life was gone just because it's, it's who you are. Um, it's, it's who you identify with and feeling that for those first few days, it's kind of like experiencing a, a death of a close relative or, or friend. Since then, I, I've, I've come to understand and learn that even though my membership in the church, um, is void that I'm still a son of Heavenly Father. I'm still loved. I'm still me, the same person. Um, and I still do value the, the, the teachings and, and the principles of the church. So in a sense, at the beginning, it, you feel that loss, but, but really over time, it's, it's not really gone. It's still there. Rory, what about for you? I have to back up Perry on this. You know, everything that we, we learned growing up, uh, it, it's foundational. Um, it's something to, to draw back on. I, I remember when I got home from the, the mission field and I was in college, 
never really talked about my mission, right? Um, I had roommates that that would talk about it as as if you know they just got home, but they'd been home for a year or two, and and uh, they talked about it frequently, and it was a joy in their life. And not that my mission wasn't a joy, but I was always kind of just forward thinking, like, okay, that's done. I'm in college, you know, what do I have to study for? And uh, one of my friends, when I brought up that I had served a mission, she said, oh, I had no idea. Like, when did you get home? Well, I've been home for three months. <laughs> you don't talk about it. <laughs> and um, kind of this, you know, it, it was a part of me, but it wasn't the biggest part of me, you know. Uh, same with the church. It's, it's something that I grew up socially converted to. Um, I believed the principles. I believed the, the ideals of the church. And it was something to always draw on. My mission experience is something I could always draw on. But as soon as, you know, you hear the, the words that, you know, we regret to inform you that during our prayer, it, it was revealed to us that, that you uh, at this point are excommunicated from the church. And then the instructions that come to, you know, remove your garments and you can't pay tithing and you can't sustain. And, and you start to see all these things that you were regularly part of just kind of gone sitting in church that very next day. Um, Satan was sitting there nagging at me, you know, like, and, and growing up, I, I never really felt like I belonged. And I, I don't think I have a monopoly on that. I, I talking to more and more people, they went through that same thing. Yeah, I never felt like I belonged. Um, I, he was nagging, like, you don't belong here. You've never felt like you've belonged here. They don't want you here. Obviously, uh, you should just stand up and walk out. And he was nagging and the song was playing. And, and then the spirit says to me, you're right, or he's right, you know, you don't belong here. And I'm like, what? Uh, the Spirit's telling me that this, you know, this devil nagging in my ear is right. And then at that very moment, it was, I think we were singing, Oh, My Father, that, that line that says that the Spirit whispers that you're a stranger here, that you came from more holier spheres. And at that moment, me feeling sorry for myself and feeling down and feeling out and feeling like, you know, my identity was changing. My heavenly father steps in and says, you aren't meant to be here. <laughs> you were meant to be better than this. You're meant for greater things. And he gave me something that I was able to combat this feeling of, of being secluded from the church that I could use on a daily basis. Anytime I ever feel now like I don't belong here, I always revert back to that, that memory of the spirit testifying through a hymn at the right moment that, that we don't belong here. We belong in church. We belong with each other. We belong supporting each other. And that became another foundational thing for me, something that I can draw back on. I don't have to revert back to, you know, the first 25 years of, of being a covenant member I can start here at this moment. And that was a tender mercy for me that, that he's mindful of us in our, our every situation. And I haven't felt like that since I, I feel stronger than I had ever felt before because of that moment. What have you each felt has been the biggest support to you in the days since? I think for me, one thing that I was a little nervous about being excommunicated was that I'd be forgotten. You're no longer a member. I didn't want to be just kind of swept under the rug and no one reach out. But I've been shown an outpouring of love from really close friends, from family, and I've been fortunate to have support from areas that I didn't think I would. Um, I have um, people just just commenting and 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 checking if I'm okay from all over the world, and I know that most people aren't fortunate enough to have that. Um, but I feel pretty lucky that that people actually care and that's what someone needs when they're going through this process yeah for sure Rory anything that you would add as far as what has been your biggest support everything that 
Perry said was just it was a spot on um, the love and support that that we have from our, our church leaders, those that were there, the council, um, the members of our, our bishop Rick, the members of our ward. Um, for me, I was fortunate enough to to keep my family intact. You know, it doesn't matter what you do that that puts you in, in a disciplinary council. You're going to hurt someone. Um, it, it doesn't matter what the sin is when you have to come forward and say, "Hey, I need to change." Uh, for me, I hurt my wife. Um, it was, hey, from this time period to this time period, these are things that I got caught up in, and and it was painful. And and uh, for a while, you know, like I lost the trust of my best friend. Um, but she stood by me even at the the disciplinary council. Um, she was, and one of the high counselors kind of made a point of this: is that my wife is the example of Christ in this very room because of the forgiveness, the, the mercy that she showed that she and her statement was, we are not going to let Satan divide this family and her determination, her testimony, her example to me has been the strongest support. Um, and, and she's constantly asking me, how are you doing? Um, uh, are there any temptations that are are getting to you? And we communicate more than we have ever communicated. And the way that we we bring the gospel into our home now is because we we lean on each other. And I know that she's leaning on the Lord, and I'm learning to lean on the Lord because of her example. She didn't do anything wrong, <laughs> but she is also experiencing the effects of my excommunication and the pain that I, got, I went through. And her pain's different, but no less. Um, um, it, it's not, uh, I don't know what I'm no trying to say. Real. It's, uh, it's just a yeah. strong, yeah, it, it, it's, it's all very real. And, and uh, I think that goes back to the atonement that, that he didn't just suffer for our sins, but he to succor my wife, to bring her into his arms. He knows what it's like for her in this moment, in this situation, the pain and the sorrow. And so our biggest support has been that. What would both of you say has been the most powerful emotion that you've experienced. I imagine this is a full range of emotions, um, but what would you say has been the most powerful emotion that you've experienced throughout this? Um, for me, I think the most powerful ex- emotion that I've felt in the last month has just been peace. You, you feel a bunch of anxiety, stress before the process, but once once you know where you're going to go, the Lord just blesses you with so much peace in your life. Um, that doesn't mean you're not going to feel um, temptations or um, feel lonely um, or, or any other negative feelings that you feel through the process um, of not being a member. But he does reassure you with with a steady peace and let you know that you are moving in the direction that you need to go um, and that you're you're doing your best and he also gives you the hope that that you will get to where where you should be that actually reminds me i was just listening the other night to a podcast and the interview was with Bob Goff, who's a Christian author. And they asked him what the best advice he had ever been given was. And he was like, well, my best advice I've ever received just changed. And he said that he had just been to see the new Christopher Robin movie. And that in it, Winnie the Pooh says, I always get to where I'm going by walking away from where I've been. And I've found myself the last few days, like thinking about that over and over again, like, what am I trying to walk toward? And in order to do that, what do I have to walk away from? Rory, what would you say as far as the most powerful emotion? I would say joy. Um, And it wasn't, you know, obviously at first, but 
it, there's a scripture that comes to mind, Alma 31, 38. Uh, they're getting ready to go teach the, the Lamanites. And um, it says that, that he gave them strength. The Lord gave them strength that they suffered no manner of affliction, save it were swallowed up in the joy of Christ. So it didn't say that they didn't suffer any affliction, but their affliction was always swallowed up in the joy of Christ. And about uh, one of the, the high counselors, a good friend of mine said, you know, it's going to get worse before it gets better. And I was like, don't, don't tell me that. Nobody wants to hear <laughs> um, that. No, no. And uh, I was like, you know, like that's self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Like, don't tell a person that. And he's like, I'm sorry. That's not what I was intending. And and I think we have like the idea that uh, I'm coming back to the Lord, like nothing's going to go wrong. Like uh, we have that temptation to think that adversity is just going to go away, uh, even if we have kind of a handle on the adversary. And then uh, about seven to eight months into the being excommunicated, uh, my, my daughter's born five weeks early. And she has Down syndrome. She has a very complex heart condition. Um, she was born without an anus and then several other health defects that we've been working through. And I think the only way that I could have gotten through this adversity this past year, she just turned one, was because of the repentance process in its purest form, that I found joy in Christ and we didn't suffer through that. I mean, it, there was painful moments, but but to see her smile and to know that we have a plan and to know that he has a plan for us. A friend of mine, I was, I was in tears when we found out about the heart condition and preparing for a major complex surgery. And he, he wraps me in his arms and, and he knew what we were going through. And he goes, brother, it's not your fault. And prior to this moment, I would have I would have blamed God. I would have blamed myself because I wasn't in a, a state of living righteously. And I looked up at him and I was like, I know that had never even crossed my mind. That's kind of one of the moments when I knew that I, I experienced healing because I knew that, that he was in, that my daughter was in his hands. So joy, I think would be the, the strongest emotion through this process because we found Christ and we were, we were inviting him into our lives. Yeah, absolutely. I think that this is like the ultimate in vulnerability. So how do you think that being in a vulnerable state helps with healing or why does that have to be a part of this experience and this process? I, I think with vulnerability, you choose to be vulnerable. Um, you, we didn't have to tell anybody. And the only people that would have known would have been those in the, the disciplinary council or bishopric and those in the church that knew. And, and all they would know is that we couldn't give a prayer or a talk. Um, but we choose to be vulnerable. We choose to open up about this experience. And I chose to open up to quite a few people um, because I, I needed to find that healing by being open, by drawing on other people's experience, um, by finding forgiveness um, from people, um, by forgiving others. And so choosing to open up, I, I think, is what made us vulnerable. And I think Satan has a way of, of binding our tongues so that we don't speak. He gives us fear. He gives us embarrassment. Um, he, he puts ideas into our heads that we're going to be outcast and lose friends and lose family. But, um, but he can't win. You know, we already know that. And so choosing to be vulnerable is actually part of that being, you know, having a contrite spirit and opening up and, and sharing that, you know, what if Alma, the younger had never shared that experience, an experience that we celebrate in this church. Um, we, we would have, you know, less to draw on because of it. Yeah. I really like that, that idea of choosing Perry. What about you? I think being vulnerable, um, shows humility. It, this, this is an embarrassing thing to go through. Um, it's hard and some people don't understand, but when you open yourself up, regardless of how you feel, um, whether you're scared, um, embarrassed, uh, or just have, have fears that, you know, relationships could end or you might push people away. People will view you differently. Um, when you open up to people, they tend to open up to you. And I think part of our healing is helping others heal as well. 
Um, I remember being vulnerable is, is totally against my nature. Not your thing, huh? <laughs> no, it's not my thing. <laughs> so, and, and for some reason, so the first few days after the excommunication happened, um, I had never felt so alone in my life. So I remember going to a bookstore and just looking for something uh, that I could grasp, that I could um, find some something to relate to, uh, to deal with the, the feelings that I was feeling. And I couldn't find anything. Um, and so I had the impression the next morning to start a blog, to write about it. And it was, it was pretty hard. Um, it was hard to, to open myself up to live in that experience again and share, share that publicly. And I think part of my drive was I didn't want anyone to feel what I was feeling. Um, like I said earlier, I have, I have a good support. I have, I have a testimony. It's still there. But there are some who, who lack that, who lack the faith, who don't have people checking in on them. And I kind of wanted to make a difference um, to let others know that they're not alone, that they can get through this. Yeah, I think that's something that I actually have been thinking about a lot, about how there's so much power in sharing our experiences. It's something that I'm like super passionate about, but I think... I think that's part of the whole reason that we're here and going through the things that we're going through is because we all need each other along this journey. And I think that's really probably a more vital part of this whole experience of mortality than we realize. Do you ever get discouraged? I imagine you probably do. I get discouraged about plenty of things in my life, but how do you combat discouragement? So I, uh, I was driving through, I was working in Wyoming and, uh, this was, um, maybe a two or three months after. And I remember just being completely discouraged and I, I pulled over to the side of the road and I, I emailed my state president. I was like, why is the pull of the world like so strong? Like I want to change, but I also like, you know, the things that I was used to, I want to keep doing. And, and, um, I, I pressed send and my wife sends me a text and it's a scripture that she was reading in Alma 23. It was six and seven. And it talked about the, the Lamanites that those that actually converted to the Lord, all of those that, that listened to the testimony and found that conversion never did fall away. And that they, they got rid of their weapons of their rebellion, not weapons of war, but weapons of their rebellion. And they did not fight against God or their brethren anymore. And she, she found that that was so profound. And that was the answer that I was looking for in that moment um, was, you know, what, what weapons of, of my rebellion against God do I need to get rid of? You know, what am I holding on to that's keeping me the, you know, that's keeps drawing me to the world instead of, you know, things that are drawing me to Christ. And so we listed out a lot of things. Um, and that helped overcome a lot of the discouragement. You have a Minadab in, in Helaman 5. And uh, Nephi and Lehi, the sons of Helaman, are in the prison. And and they come in and, and they're surrounded by fire, right? Or a pillar of fire. And, and uh, then they, you know, then they're scared. The Lamanites are, what's going on here? And then all of a sudden a darkness comes over them. They were overshadowed by darkness and the walls are trembling and the earth is shaking and they hear a, a piercing spirit of perfect mildness, a, a voice that says, repent ye, repent ye, and, and quit seeking to destroy my servants. And Aminadab, who was disaffected from the church, after they hear this voice a couple of times, they ask him, like, what do we do? And he says, have faith in Christ and repent and do those things that Alma and Amulek and Zeezrom taught us. And once they did that, they had the ministering of angels. And I think that's just like with us too. Like we, we can repent. We can have faith in Christ. We can draw on the scriptures. You know, isn't that what Alma and Amulek and Zeezrom gave us with scriptures? Those daily habits of faith are what helped me get through the most discouraging moments. Opening the scriptures, saying my prayers, doing the things that I didn't do in the years prior. And, and it tells you right in the scriptures, this is what you do to overcome that dark shadow. What about for you, Perry? I, I want to agree with him. It's those little things that we 
do as members of the church, like praying, reading the scriptures, just just going back to the the basic fundamentals of 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 our faith. Not being a member of the church, you you see it from a different perspective and point of view. And like Rory was referred to earlier, you, you do get the visitations of the spirit and you just have to work a little harder for that. And I feel like those moments where I do take time to write, to read the scriptures, to, to give a meaningful prayer, um, those definitely help with, with feelings of loneliness, shame, definitely help in trying to overcome temptation and just, just find that peace of mind in knowing that you're, you're doing the right thing, that you're on your way. It is a daily thing, though. I feel like some people think, oh, excommunication happened and it's just one event. But the emotions associated with, with the disciplinary council tend to linger. You're not where you want to be, but you're on your way there. And sometimes you just need those little things to carry you through the process. Yeah. What the two of you were saying reminded me of one of my favorite scriptures in the Book of Mormon. My favorite chapter probably in all the Book of Mormon is Alma chapter 33. And in that chapter is where um, they talk about the story of the brass serpent. And there's this one verse, this one phrase, I guess, in verse 22, where it says, um, and if not so, then cast about your eyes and begin to believe in the Son of God, that he will come to redeem his people. And that's one of my favorite phrases is begin to believe in the Son of God. And I love that because I think that there's power in recognizing that we can always start again. I think that it's symbolic of repentance and and new beginnings. And so for you to... What was it that initially led to your decision to make a change, to begin again? I think for me, um, surrounding myself with with positive influences, um, there there was a point in my life where I had fallen away from the church and just didn't really. I wasn't. I wasn't in it. And, um, I slowly made my way back attending church meetings. I was, felt like I was there, but not there. And then I started noticing a difference in the people's lives around me and how happy they were, how driven they were, how faithful they were. And I wanted that. Um, so I made some changes and I got to a point where, where I felt good about myself, where I was doing what I knew was right. But there was an area of my life that was kind of a gray area that I needed to to fix. And I actually had a really, really good friend of mine who helped me. She pu- she pushed me to to get the, the disciplinary council rolling so that, that I could could take care of, of it. And, um, it's, it's interesting that, that it, it, all it takes is just one person to, to push you in the right direction. But my mind was made up. I was just kind of dragging my feet <laughs> to, to the process. Um, I was anxious, but then kind of nervous and scared, but seeing what they had and knowing what I needed to do to get it is, is what drove me to to do this. That's interesting. I think the idea of it only taking one person, which also makes me think about something that I want to talk about after Rory answers, but which is um, how can we as, as Latter-day Saints better support one another in a process like this, or just in trying to live the gospel. But Rory, would you add anything as far as what led to your initial decision to change? Yeah, so I was still 
kind of just living in the dark. I was semi-active and used work as an excuse. I was busy, constantly busy. And, um, you know, living among Latter-day Saints and, but not, you know, doing the right things. And then we moved to another state and, and I juggled the idea of, you know, like, can I change? Can I really change? And, um, I, uh, my family was out of town on a trip and we had the missionaries over before, but they knocked on my door. I was working on in the basement, putting up sheetrock and, uh, came upstairs and they came in and said, Hey, can we share a video with you? And I said, sure. And it was one of, uh, the, the newly dramatized versions of, uh, one of Joseph Smith's versions of, uh, his first vision. And, uh, it was like six minutes long. I'd never seen it before. I had never known that version of it. And it was inspiring. And it reminded me of an experience I had, a revelation I had um, when I was studying the, the Joseph Smith history. And, and that feeling came back that you can be restored. The principle of restoration is real. And so two missionaries knocking on my door, having no idea that they were having an impact on this you know, new member of the ward. And uh, I went and prayed. I prayed and I prayed and I knew that I needed a change, but I didn't know if I had the strength to. And I just prayed for that strength. Like I need to talk to my wife. I need to talk to my religious leaders so that they can help me go through this process. And because of those two missionaries having a prompting to come and share a video with me, a seemingly active member of the church um, had an impact on my life. It led me to want to go through this process. I think that that is awesome. Um, I think both of those are examples of the difference that just one or two people can make in the church and in someone's life. How do you think that we as Latter-day Saints can better be there for each other? I think for me, uh, it goes back to the first thing I said, um, referencing Elder Holland is let people repent, love them, exercise empathy. Because we're, we all have a need to repent, right? Um, but exercising that love, that empathy, and letting others repent. I, th- I think we tend to think of others and we see the things that we do and we, we might put things like, shouldn't they go through a disciplinary council for that? Shouldn't that person have been excommunicated? Um, but these are very personal moments uh, in, in our lives, in everybody's lives. We aren't here to, to make that determination. We're here to support each other, love each other. I think the biggest thing that members of the church can do is learn the doctrine of Christ, to have faith in Christ unto repentance. But not only that, to, to, when they've made the baptismal covenant, keep that covenant, renew it by going to church regularly. And then the thing that I think we forget the most is following the Holy Ghost. Um, I separated myself from the spirit, but I had never felt closer to the spirit than the year that I was excommunicated from the church because I had a a good stake leader that taught me that the doctrine of Christ isn't just these four principles. It's application, a daily application of having the spirit in your life. You pray for promptings of the spirit. The spirit will prompt you, which is a personal commandment to you in your life that the Lord wants you to do something specific. And you have an option at that time to listen and obey or to not. And when you listen and obey those promptings, you rise above the plane of the natural man and you're living the celestial law. You're living the higher law. And we have that promise. That's the greatest thing about having the gift of the Holy Ghost in your life is that you are covenanted. uh, You have a covenant relationship with a member of the Godhead that he will always be with you when you're living righteously. And he will tell you things to do, and you can choose to live those things. And and most of the time, more often than not, he's telling you, hey, I need you to call this person. I need you to go knock on this person's door. I need you to minister to this person. And when we have that in our lives, we can't go wrong. That's when we get empathy and charity and love. And, and that's when we let people repent and we're not constantly dragging them through the mud. I think that's the biggest thing that we can do. That's how we get to know Christ. That's how we get to know our Savior and, and be in a relationship with Him because we're living His principles. It's His doctrine. Yeah. Perry, would you add anything to that? I just wanted to touch on something Rory said, um, just about following the promptings. Be aware. Be be open to people. When, when going through... 
um, this process, an individual tends to withdraw and, and turn inward. And sometimes they need that call. They need your testimony. They need your strength. Inside, they've, they've made that decision that they want to change, but they, they just need a little push. They need support. So being kind, being loving, and being understanding to a situation like this um, can definitely help the outcome of this, this individual, this person. Um, who we refer to as brother or sister. Um, we need to treat them that way. And just like in the, Old, in the New Testament, they ask Christ what the greatest commandment is. And he says, love God and then love your neighbor. And that's going to make all the difference for everyone. We came down here together and we need to leave here together. And it's, it's our responsibility to take care of one another. I think that's spot on. How has this process um, brought you both closer to our Heavenly Father and our Savior? And what have you learned about them and their love for you through this experience? I see God as a... Uh as more of a paternal figure than I've ever seen them before. Um, that he is really my father in heaven. Um, there's moments when I felt alone and, and in despair. And when I pray, there are things that come up that, that he witnesses to me, that he loves me. Um, relying on the doctrine of Christ and, and getting to know and exercise the atonement in my life, having it applied into my life in this capacity. I mean, excommunication is the repentance process, right? And, and it's a way for us to, it, it, it's the mercy. Uh, I, I always viewed excommunication as the justice, right? That, uh, oh, that guy got what he deserved because he got excommunicated because he did something wrong. But there's more, and, and that's the God, right? God is a God of laws, a God of justice. Uh, he can't deny his own laws. And so he gave us a savior and the exercise of mercy. And now, because I've experienced it, Excommunication is not justice. Excommunication is mercy, relieving me of my covenants that I made with him, wiping the slate, literally wiping the slate clean so that I can start fresh with new principles to lean on. Um, it's different for everyone, but that's how I came to understand God and Savior and seeing justice and mercy and having it applied into my life. Thank you so much. That's I've never thought of it that way. Perry, anything that you would add? For my experience, I I've never been closer to God than I have in the last month. It's it's interesting to think your whole life whether you grow up into the in in the church or when you're baptized into it, you have that. It's there. You're part of his church. And I, I think I took that for granted. And now I have to choose to be close to him, which I feel strengthens my connection and my relationship with, with our Heavenly Father because he always answers prayers. He's always aware. And he lets me know. And I have... Just an increase of gratitude towards him for that. Why is it that you think excommunication could cause someone to not come back to the church? So we all experience life differently, right? I, I feel like we're all on the same path, but we trip over different rocks. And uh, I, I think it depends on, you know, what, what kind of sin that they were involved with. Um, was it? apostasy against doctrine was it sexual sins was it uh you know st stealing from the church was it you know, abusing authority what led to that position what was the frequency what was the duration um the severity of it and then what was their experience in the disciplinary council for me i absolutely knew nobody 
in my disciplinary council because we had just moved to another state where you might have other people that that knew the people in that room, every one of them, because they're in a smaller congregation. Maybe they worked with them. Maybe they had callings with them. And so you have to factor in so many emotions, embarrassment, fear, regret. How public was it? Um, I, I think of uh, Robert C. Oaks. He uh, spoke to members uh, as LDS service members and he related his combat experience, which was, I think like upwards of 40 years of, of uh, air force experience. A lot of it was combat experience. And he stops for a minute and he says, let me be clear. My combat experience does not make me an expert on your combat experience. And I think that's where empathy comes in is that even though I'm excommunicated, I, I don't have all the answers for Perry. I don't have all the answers for somebody coming behind me, um, but I can share my experience and say I can relate a little bit. But I don't know what it's like to go into a room of people I know and having to have them hear the things that I did in detail. Um, I can't imagine the you know the embarrassment was awful enough in that moment, but with people that you grew up with, it's just it's different for everybody. People have been hurt in this church. I, I think that goes for any church, but we can't dismiss those feelings at all. They're very real feelings. Yeah. Carrie, anything to add to that? Yeah, I think I think just just like he said, like Rory said, um, everyone's gonna have a different experience with this process. I can see where where some would allow all the negative emotions that, that you do feel to take over and I guess push them further away um, from the church, go in a different direction um, and just have it overwhelm them to where they don't feel uh, God's presence in this. Um, and I think, I think that's when we need to be most sensitive is, is, to those who who are struggling with that, who may not know where to turn or feel like they can't turn to someone. And I think I think more often than not, someone who's taken the, the steps and made the choice to proceed with something like this, they have the faith that they can get back. But they need the help to get there. And it's hard. It's hard to ask for help. I, I've, I won't ever ask anyone for help. I'm, I'm stubborn. But, but, but <laughs> there's, I mean, just imagine someone in that position. Just if they've taken the steps necessary to be vulnerable, to open themselves up to, to multiple people who they don't know, or they do know. Um, they've suffered embarrassment, fear, and then to get the worst possible outcome in their minds to have that happen to them. That that I, without support, they they're not gonna they're not gonna make it. Yeah. So. Gentlemen, first of all, thank you so, so much for being willing to share something that I know is very, very, very personal. And I really believe and hope that this episode will help others who maybe are going through the same process or who love someone and care about someone also going through this. At the end of this podcast, we always ask a question and this question is interesting to me because it's not, I don't think it's exclusive to those in our church. We actually had someone on the podcast previously that's not a member of our church, and she answered the question just as well as anybody else because it relates to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the question is, what does it really mean to be all in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to give each of you an answer or a chance to answer that as we wrap up. I, I think what it means to, to be all in is to 
uh, I, I can't remember if it was, I think it was Lamoni's father, the Lamanite king, that he was willing to give up all his sins to know God. Um, it's, it's the repentance process, it's the doctrine of Christ, it's the willingness to say, um, I'm, I want to change, and I need to change, and I can't change without the help from Christ and God. It's willing to give up things that we maybe often identify with just to know Christ. I think that's what it means. Uh, I, can't, I can't remember which proverb, but it says, Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. That we have an opportunity to give a part of ourselves away so that we can make room for Christ in our lives. It's his doctrine. It's his gospel. If we want to know him, we have to sacrifice part of ourselves to do that. Thank you. Perry? I think for me, being all in is just being true to what you know is true. Um, whatever values you have, stick to them. And the areas you lack in, continue to develop and grow in them. And then commit to them and live them. I think there's this, there's this idea that we need to be perfect when perfection is not attained here. But as we gradually increase our faith and testimonies in principles and the gospel and Jesus Christ in in the operations of, of how things are run in our church, we can, that gives us more things we can commit our lives to um, as we gain those testimonies of those things or, or increase that knowledge that we, we have. Being all in means our will is the only thing that our Father in Heaven has no control over. And it's that giving of self that reflects your true intent, your true faith, and how much you love God. Well, thank you both so much. I really cannot even express how much I appreciate this. And I um, wish you both all the best. And I think that that our Heavenly Father does as well. So thank you. Thanks, Morgan. Thank you for the opportunity. We cannot thank Rory and Perry enough for their vulnerability in speaking about this topic in hopes of helping others. You can learn more about Rory at his blog, allthesethings.blog, and Perry's blog can be found at neveralone.blog. As always, if you found this episode to be helpful, please leave us a rating or review on iTunes. Thanks so much for listening.